Welcome to another episode of Honest Conversations with Alex Cubis, brought to you by Nova Entertainment. In this episode, I chat with Susie Younesi, an acclaimed Iranian-American director who has two feature films out this year, one of them through Warner Brothers, another from the Duplass Brothers, many episodes of television behind her, and an eclectic and award-winning body of work that includes content for Funny or Die, as well as Kylie Jenner and Snapchat. Susie has directed Oscar winner Melissa Leo on many occasions, and on that topic gives eloquent insights into building mutual respect as a means of developing successful creative partnerships. We also discuss the origin of her work ethic, whether the term strong female lead is condescending, and her recommendations for a filmmaker wanting to jumpstart their career. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I did. I'm sitting with the director... Susie Unessi. And Susie just... um, just began our conversation or before our conversation she just showed me some clips from her next two films Daphne and Velma and Unlovable very excited you guys should be very excited to see both of them when will they be out Uh, Daphne and Velma will be out this summer and Unlovable is premiering at South by Southwest in March it's pretty good street kid to have as a director um how do you feel right now I'm super excited. It's yeah. pretty crazy to be posting two features at the same time. Yeah. That's for sure intense, yeah. but it's also rewarding and gratifying and it's what I love. It's my craft. So to be doing it and creating these stories is a dream. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. But um, I'll feel very lonely, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> come March, I'll <laughs> definitely be now? like, what happened? It's been so crazy yeah. and so non-stop that it will be strange like I feel like film when you're a filmmaker and creator you just love having all the voices in your head and yeah, once yeah. they're all gone all you hear is your own is your inner voice critic. that's critical yeah that's awesome critical okay. you've already, questioning. you've already preempted my my usual four questions that I start off with if you can answer these as honestly as possible um what are you thinking feeling what do you need and what do you want right now in this moment what am I Think, think are these feel, sep- need, and want. <laughs> all separate things. They're all these are all the voices in our heads, I guess you referred to. Okay. I think it's a sunny day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. I think yeah. Um I feel delighted. And then what's the other one? I need and I want. I need my next feature. Okay. <laughs> and I want to inspire joy and kindness in people. That's awesome. Um, if you guys go and check out Susie's work, uh, her entire body of work, I think that those four answers are a strong reflection um, of her voice as a filmmaker and as a creative. Um, so I guess on all of those, there's a lot of ideas running around in my head right now. But I wanted to ask or start off our conversation with how you came to refine your voice and is your work a response to something or, or why do you think that you carry so much joy in your work? I think my work was a response to just wanting um, to hear a voice that I hadn't heard on film. I grew up in upstate New York and uh, there wasn't a lot of diversity in the community. Okay. I'm an Iranian American. Yep. So I wanted to see more color on screen mm. and I wanted to see more strong female voices on mm. screen. I grew up in the Riot Girl movement, so I was okay. in a Riot Girl band. So I think what I is just, the Riot Girl movement? It, it was um, it was like in the in the nineties. It was mm. a lot of women 
bands creating and like having a punk rock spirit and attitude okay. and just the DIY spirit was happening and it was like when Bikini Kill was around and Kathleen right. Hannah spearheaded it. Okay. So it was really just um, all about women taking charge and doing it yourself. And so I think from that point on when I wanted to hear that voice in storytelling, I decided I would be one of those people who started telling stories that's awesome um and i think in my work i just i feel like i see that there is a lot of darkness in yeah. the world yeah sure and i just want to inspire kindness I, I want to squeeze my heart over everything i do and have people watch it and feel inspired and feel love and feel like they can step out on the street and hug some stranger you make me feel really bad about myself right now. I'm like, wow, I'm a bad human if that's your onus in life. You're the one who wanted to hug. When <laughs> that's I true. I was like, what? So I oh, am a New yeah. Yorker. I don't so, know. Yeah, you know. and I'm an Australian. So I guess two cultures colliding. Uh, did your parents bring that out in you? How do you like? Gosh, my parents, they're from Iran. So they, if anything, they inspired me to do what I love and to... Very cool. Like crazy work ethic okay. is what I get from my parents. I yeah. think because they're immigrants, they were just about you need to work and work, work for what and you work get. harder and, than anyone. Yeah, which works well in film in order yeah. to succeed in film. Sure. There's no one who's making it in film, you know, taking naps during the day. Yeah. So yeah. um so they definitely instilled in me a work ethic that I think translates well to feature filmmaking okay very cool um your first film though so you, you spoke before about the joy in, in the work that's really apparent in everything from even i sense that in the snapchat instructional video you made with kylie jenner to <laughs> seeing your clips now for a studio film and for an indie um but your first short i believe it's your first short no shoulder with it was just, it was a couple of years before Melissa Leo won an Oscar, but the, even the poster and the trailer for that, um, it's available to stream on Amazon Prime for all you listeners out there. Um, it suggested darkness that I didn't necessarily see in the rest of your work. How, what was the jump from that to well, then the other, your other projects? Well, that was something that I did, um, while I was at, I went to graduate school. Okay. Um, Columbia. In, yeah. At, yeah. In, at Columbia, New York in the early 2000s. Um, and so that was a class I had where we had to translate a play into a film. Oh, okay. And I was fortunate to meet Nina Schengold, a really talented writer. Her script really resonated with me. Because yeah. an interesting thing in my work is, yes, I'm obsessed with love, but I'm also obsessed with death. Okay. And I think about death every moment of my life i don't wow. know and it, now it's even Death, extreme you mean mortality or yes mortality. Okay. i think about like what if the, that car is about to hit me yeah. i almost i want to eventually I, make a film about um someone who because i wake up like i'll if someone dies in my life i'll have dreams these lucid dreams where i'm like experiencing what their death is so mm -hmm. i want to at some point make like a feature that's about someone who has this experience and then eventually realizes they are death incarnate and like wow. that whoever was death in the past is passing the baton to them. That idea is copyrighted, by the way. I'm sure that's, <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so it, it did make sense in the sense that it had strong female protagonists and mm. it also explored death and loss. Okay. And I do think my films, although in a more 
joyous way now um, to explore those same issues. And at that time, what was really fortunate was Nina introduced me to Melissa Leo, and it was right after she did the three burials, and there was okay. a little bit of buzz for yeah. her. Because by that point, she was still a like consistently working actor. Like, yes, really for school. sure. Yeah. Oh my god, she's been yeah. around. She's been doing it since like she was yeah thirteen. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. um um, but. It, it started a collaboration that's lasted my whole life. I've yeah. worked with Melissa on every single film I've done. And even mm. for Daphne and Melma, I'm hoping it sounds like she might do our like opening VO. But, oh, wow. Um, Very cool. But it's just been such a meaningful relationship. Well, yeah. I mean, even as a mentor and as a colleague, she's just, she's taught me so much about working with actors and listening to actors and understanding emotional truth of a moment and, how how even to like how on set to work with actors and that process so can you elaborate on that or maybe an example of what exactly what what do you think is the biggest takeaway maybe from your experiences with working with her i think my experience working with melissa is listening just listening and giving time to listen and to riff and for from a director to an actor or for the actors to listen no for a director directors need to listen take a step back and take five seconds and listen Mm -hmm. so um i think to listen and allow for play Mm -hmm. and trust for actors to trust their instincts and um i always i try if the schedule allows to always do a take that's the night after we do the work i say this takes for you and usually that take is like the You're most, a generous filmmaker. it's such a great, I mean, yeah. there's so much great stuff comes from, that comes from the, this takes for you take mm. is my experience. I mean, especially I love improv and, and with improv, it's just like by that point, cause you've done the work, you've carved out what you want in the beats within a moment. And, and so then to play on top of that just creates very nuanced performance. Mm. Because so. you've already done the foundations and yeah, then before yeah. you get to. Have something a little bit crazier. That's yeah, not I mean, we're not going to do like twenty take, but you know, yeah. by take four, hopefully <laughs> three take four is this one's for you usually. Yeah. Um. Why? Why do you think that that relationship has lasted? That creative partnership? Because now you've done. Is this your unlovable is going to be your third project with Melissa. Unlovable. Or have you sort of I think I've always worked with sort of talked like for over some the reason, years. I feel like we've done six. Oh wow. Six films together. And I was counting the other day, but... Is she your mainstay actor? We did Dear Lemon Lima, No Shoulder, then the Dear Lemon Lima feature, then we did Unlovable. I think, I thought for some reason there was something else in between, but maybe it's four, and then if she does Daphne and Melma, that would be the fifth. But but I think it's lasted just because of mutual respect and appreciation. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, you said before about your desire to represent strong female characters. Did you see Shonda Rhimes tweet the other day about, um, she said something about, uh, this is to the industry. Don't say strong female lead. That's something to the fact that saying that is really condescending. Um, do you think that that term should be eradicated because, it assumes that therefore there's weak women and, you sh- and people should just be called women or female and female. I, mean, I don't have a problem with saying strength and woman in right. the same sentence. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, obviously not, so, but in the way that it's but, described in a script. Yeah, in a script. Because it sort of insinuates that there's going to be, I guess Shonda's argument in the tweet was that it went sort of viral, was that it insinuates or is based on the assumption that 
you need to point that out. That's, That's a problem. True. But there's also like in scripts, there's there's so many, so many things like mm. so-and-so beautiful. Yeah. Like, you know, like, I mean, they're just <laughs> yeah. things then scripts are just things you all, pretty with, the, you know, like, and it's, are they necessary as no. detail? No, but, yeah. but it's just, it's always and that's sort true. of the that's Hollywood true. way yeah. and things are changing. Mm, for sure. um, so I think with Shonda and, and her strong, strong <laughs> voice, um, that things are changing. And so it will be interesting to see in the next five years, what, what a script and what a character description looks like. Are you satisfied with your career right now? And if so, or if not, what is your goal sort of in the next five years? I'm super satisfied. This year has been amazing. I mean, yeah. I, I grew up on Scooby-Doo, so doing oh, Daphne and Bella's origin like a, movie was like... It's like fate. Is, it was everything I dreamt of. Yeah. And, and the studio Blue Ribbon content gave me a lot of freedom. And and the writers, too, just like we... they allowed like scenes to come to life with like visual ideas and I would sort of plant a seed of something and they would just take it and run and the studio exec was just so she was so sharp and really passionate about executing a Scooby-Doo film in the right way something that honors what was created originally yep. but also innovates and modernizes it mm. so for this year, it, it was incredible. I was so lucky. And last year, doing a film with the Duplass brothers, with mm. my producer, Jen Roskin, with Charlene de Guzman. These are all, with Melissa, it just like was a very creatively satisfying on the other spectrum of making a movie because it was so low into the ground. And for 150000 you just have all the freedom in the world to like, the, the world is your playground. Right. So, um I mean, you have no money. Yeah, but, you have limitations but you financially, have but creative freedom yeah. because you don't have as many stakeholders, I guess. Yes, so yeah. it was, um, so I've had a really great past two years, but I've also had other years, it took eight years to get my second feature made. And right. I think the um, that for women to get your second feature made, the statistic is it takes 10 years usually. So moving That's forward, insane. I would love to do a Marvel film, but I think doing this Daphne and Velma film has given me the tools and a project where I can show how I translate a piece of IP mm -hmm. and create a world visually that already has, has yeah. some sort of following and how to yeah. honor it. Tap into a fan base and, and update it. Yeah. yeah, that's very cool. Um, but so you said before that the past two years have been creatively satisfying and the culmination and a meeting of a lot of people that you've either worked with before or you've wanted to work with. Having looked at your work, um, it's the culmination of what, like 15 years, probably? Yeah, I think I see. Yeah. my first film that got distribution was in 2000 or 2001. It was a documentary. So it's been, it's, yeah, Over it's been yeah. 16, 17 years now. But I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a crazy path. I think coming out of my first feature, I was right out of grad school and I signed with CAA and Anonymous. Wow. And How did that just, they saw your graduate they, thesis? I think, no, they saw, they had, they had seen, CAA had seen my short film and been tracking me. So when I was meeting agencies for my feature, it, after my feature was done, Dear Lemon Lima, it made sense to sign with them. Okay. But then nothing happened. And like for years, just nothing happened. Like and, no meetings or no? I mean, there were meetings and meetings on projects, but no one was going to give a second time feature, a female feature director 
a $20 million movie. I just rolled um, my eyes. But so, yeah. <laughs> but it just wasn't in that time. I think I even had, I think my manager might have told me people aren't hiring women, Susie. They oh. want to hire funny men. And so oh, was this during the John Apatow? Yeah, yeah, it was right at, yeah. So, okay. so it was just, so I, you know, I remember I left Anonymous and then CAA, I was, seven months pregnant and they dropped me and it was just like a horror you know it was one of those like i think i called alethea who was on your show yeah. and i remember i was crying because i didn't get invited back to this silly little show and, and i was like the show there's like a show that you had already <laughs> directed a, or something it was like an amazon show okay so stupid right but um i didn't get invited and so i called her and i was so upset and pregnant and and she was so sweet and and thoughtful and i, I think it's nice the filmmaker there's there's such a strong female filmmaker community. Yeah. Um, you got to support each other. You got to support it for sure. I mean, men do it. And, mm. um, and I think women now are learning too, um, that we need to team up and yeah. support each other. Um, Humanist movement. And there's enough work for everyone. There really is. But, um, but then I, I signed with a different manager, Andrea Simon, who's not like a huge, you know, but okay. she's, how did, that, how did that come about? Uh, so you that happened with CAA and Anonymous, and obviously you were seven months pregnant. I was so very big, big life <laughs> transitions. Yes. Did you have a point where you were like, maybe I should do something else now, or you were like, no, just keep going? No, down. just keep going. I okay. mean, I have no other. Skills. You were already. A... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like. I mean, <laughs> speaking with you, I'm doubtful, but uh, I think. <laughs> I mean, unless like glitter, playing with glitter and beads is a skill, I'm pretty confined to the arts and music and, and film. Like, okay. that's my. So you just went about, as a director, you just went about to try and find a different manager? Um, I think I did a Warner Brothers workshop, which was a diversity workshop. So they set me up with that manager. Okay. And at the same time, people would still reach out to me about work. And actually, because I was no longer with these agencies, I got all these emails that were like, oh, would you be up for doing this? Because you were reach, you were like reachable. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was just people were reaching out to me directly. And actually, one of my CAA agents had someone sometime had said, work begets work. And so... I just like whatever. I just did anything. That's why if you look at my That's why you've got work, such a prolific. I have so much work I'm from sorry, the past. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to ask about that because you've obviously, you've got these films in the can, but then even in the past couple of years, you've done everything from, like I mentioned, the Kylie Jenner instructional video before to Go 90 series, Relationship Status. Like yeah. just different mediums and yeah. different types of projects. There's a through line of, of joy that I mentioned before. Like I could see that voice, but... So that's that was from the mindset of work begets work, just yeah. keep working. I think I just wanted to, and like as a director, you yeah, want to constantly refine your, your toolbox. So yep. even I worked with Kanye Nass on a bunch of spots. Yeah, the Lancome um, spots, right? Yeah, yep. and Lancome spots and some like through the years, like fashion through the years. And they were just so fun. It was so perfect because I had just had a baby and it worked really well with my schedule, schedule to yeah. do these like branded and commercial type spots. Yeah. And then... After that, um, my my son came, and after my son came, I think three weeks, when he was three weeks old, we went to, like, Salt Lake City and did 24 episodes of Relationship Status and did a feature when I was seven months pregnant with him. It was just like... I saw that Instagram post. Yeah. Was, I loved it. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. I think you just need... That is just evidence that... Uh, yeah, any argument that... If, I mean, I don't think that people honestly believe this anymore, but anything that was said 10 years ago that maybe women shouldn't be directing films, you could just 
that Instagram post where you're pregnant on a set, you know, behind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, proof. that's what I think. Um, one of your questions on that sheet was like, what would you tell to yourself five years ago? Yeah. And I'd say it's okay to have a baby. You still work. Right. You know, like okay. it's not going to change. Did you have that thought that you were worried for a oh, while? Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. I held off on having a baby. I'm now 40 and I have like a two-year-old and a one-year-old. Okay. But oh, I, you had them so close I'm, together. Yeah. Yeah. I had them very close together. But I held off because I wanted to make my second feature. And right. I was like, oh, once I make a second feature, then I'll do it. Yeah. But I don't think I needed to wait for the second. I think babies bring good luck, and it's not like yeah, no one's no one cares if you have a baby. If anything, yeah. it makes it seem you're you're responsible for a life. If you can take care, if you can keep a baby alive, you can make definitely a direct a movie. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I think I did have a fear, and I think probably a lot of female filmmakers do. So any any fear. female filmmakers out there listening, I guess, can take away that. Just don't worry about it. And again, or men I love, too. Yeah, I guess having family, a kid is just like yeah. You just I mean, family is a big responsibility, but such, because such in this industry thing. it can be difficult. But yeah. that's a that's a strong point for why it doesn't need to even really matter. Um, Life goes on. Yeah, it doesn't stop once you have a child. Yeah. So. Um, did you think thinking back to yourself fifteen years ago? Did you think that you would be where you are now? Were you riddled yes, with doubt? Yes, 15 years ago, I definitely... Oh, you did? Yeah. <laughs> I think ten, five years ago? I don't know. Okay. 15 years ago, for sure. Full I was hope, like, yeah, I, I got this. Yeah, right. Where I was you... like getting grants and very... Okay. You know, everything seemed just like yeah. cards falling into place. Right. But, you know, with everything in life, there are peaks and valleys. And it's just like that you keep climbing is sort of the... Mantra, yeah. and that's something that you can we can go back and attribute probably to the way that you were raised. Yeah, probably my parents. Thanks, mom and dad. Thank you, mom and dad. <laughs> um, what about what do you think makes a good actor? I think a good actor is vulnerable. Okay. Very vulnerable, and and has a sense of play. Okay. So, I think great actors just like it's. I don't know how. I don't know how you do it, but it's a magical thing to see. Can you sense so, that in a person's personality when you meet them? I don't know if I can. I, you, I, you do only see it in their work. I think in their work, but definitely there are certain actor, people that you meet and the charisma that they have is tangible. So, right. um, But for actors, I think it is about like just being able to turn it on and make yourself vulnerable so quickly and so easily and also have a sense of play and understanding story. Okay. I think a lot of great, the girls on Daphne and Velma, I worked with Sarah Jeffrey and Sarah Gilman, and they both understand stories so well. And even Brian Stefanik played with Dad, and there was just so many scenes. We sat down, we, we rehearsed together. It was a very tight schedule, but we took the time, and the girls and Brian, everyone understood story so well. So, do you mean by that their place in the story and yeah, how what was they, happening in the story, and how their that meant that the scene would arc or yes, something like definitely that? the arc of the scene and, they're, they're and the, the beats that of they the hit scene. and what what didn't resonate and what didn't feel right. true. And we would always because I think for storytelling and for acting, it's all about finding an emotional truth. So yeah. we would really carve out the scene in rehearsal and if something bumped they would say it and they would speak up and that's why I think it's a good thing if as an actor if something feels fake to you just go ahead call and it say out. it call yeah. it yeah honest conversation no one wants yeah. to 
I don't want it to feel fakey. And yeah, I don't and you'll sense it later in the editing room yeah. anyway, and it's like, why For didn't sure. anyone call it out? And yeah. that happens all the time on a set when something's bad and it's happening and no one's saying anything. And have you been in that experience before where maybe as a as a filmmaker on a set you didn't necessarily have the power? I mean, I guess directors generally do, but you're in a position with a time crunch and something wasn't to the highest standard and no one was calling it out? I don't know. I always chip away. I, always chip maybe, away. I don't know. I feel like I, I maybe I I'm referring away. to experiences in but, television. But I think it's um, now being older, I have more confidence too, and like it's sure. not working. If I think there are definitely times well. in on past films where I'm like, well, okay, maybe if someone's like, we got to go, we don't need it. If I in my heart know we need it, I just get it because I know. In I've now been in the edit room enough times yeah. where I'm like, oh, I knew I needed that and I didn't get it. Why didn't I get it? So, so that's a, f- yeah, a filmmaker's intuition that you've refined with yes, practice. Yes, definitely. And always, yeah. it's, it's one of those things when all of a sudden, that, like, I always listen to everyone on set and that's why I think a great director listens to everyone on set. Best idea goes, you know, you're open to like, you want all your creatives to feel like they can approach you with ideas yeah, and yeah. create a sense of play on set. But also knowing always follow your instinct and that I know I'm always I'm always right. Like in the end, I don't know. I'm set like I listen to everything and yeah, someone else has might have a better idea, but I'll know in that moment once everyone shared everything what the right path is. That like I I just feel like if anything I've learned to trust my instincts Mm -hmm. and and trust in even the first instinct how I feel about someone usually is right yes i've had some instances where someone was hired and in the moment i said okay but this is my concern is that i think this person might be blah and then it always happens that you're a good judge of character i do think so yeah Yeah. and again that's something that's probably your new yorker (laughs) (laughs) background i would think so i don't know i've never really spent a lot of time in new york so i can't i can't really speak to that um, New Yorkers definitely can call bullshit call, pretty yeah. quickly. What do you think that is? I don't know, but also LA people. I love LA people more than anything. There's so much heart. I feel like I fit better City now in LA. Okay. Even though I'm in New York, I thought I'd never move here because I was like such a New Yorker and right. I love the pace. I, I love don't know the... all the colorful outfits and the colorful content you make. Sort of, it makes sense that you've ended up here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I wanted to ask a couple things about your filmmaking process. One, um, why do you think you've ended up working with kids so frequently? And even before you became a mother, you had a lot of success with like your Funny or Die series, Olive and Mocha. Yeah. Yeah. And that's sort of, again, like, and obviously with your feature and, and then that sort of brings out the joy and and your, your interests in glitter or whatever you mentioned before. But why do you think that you've, ended up working with them a lot or is that something you've naturally gravitated towards well, i love i think kids kids are freaking hilarious <laughs> and um and i think the wide-eyed wonder that they have and yeah. the way that they see the world is something that i feel very aligned with okay um like the way the, the world through the eyes of a child is sort of how i love yeah it's yeah, magical and yeah yeah there is an honesty to it and even in humor with kids such an honesty to every moment with a child and with especially like great kid actors Mm. it's just such a pure performance is so pure and sweet and honest yeah and 
I don't feel like people have done a lot of justice to a lot of like children's material. Okay. Um, children are a lot smarter than than we think. Yes. Like even my kids really too. It's freaking genius. Because they're not they're not conditioned. Yeah. So they've got an unfiltered ability to sort of call things out or observe things. For in a sure. Way that we but the, I think ourselves. also the content that's made for them is speaking down to them. And yeah. so for me as a director, I'm gra- I gravitate towards kids' content because I think it can be better and I can elevate it. So and something like Oliver Mocha. So I'm thinking of a scene where the opening is them. I don't know what Americans call it, but it's like pixie dust, which is like a candy. Yeah. And it's again, the way that it's represented in this particular sequence is like the doing cocaine right, right. at a party. <laughs> but it's like, it out of a, but it's just out of a pixie out of, stick. Out of and, and then the, the running joke, I guess is that they're like doing drugs at an eighties party or something. Yeah. So was that made for kids or was that made for adults? That was made for adults. Okay. And did you... Some of the other episodes are yeah. more for kids, like First Kiss. But yeah. the one that's like kids inhaling pixie sticks that's is for was, adults. Yeah. That is so not did like... you... Did you um, when you but my daughter, that... if she wants to see it, I wouldn't be like, no. Because right. they're inhaling out of a straw. Yeah, they don't you necessarily know, know what it is. They don't know what's happening. Yeah. Did you have any... When you were making that, did you like be like, oh, this could be construed as controversial at the time because it was a couple years ago that you no i i didn't i really just thought it was hilarious and a wonderful story so and i think because it was an all-female production team there Mm. wasn't like anything it felt like a very honest story so that's why i feel like it reminded me of my childhood so it wasn't like i found a truth in it yeah and I guess if I hadn't, then I wouldn't have signed on to it. But mm. I think the reason it played so well and went viral and is because it resonated with people and they yeah. saw themselves and their best friends and those girls. Seeing yourself in work or an audience seeing themselves in the work. So would yeah. you say that that's a, a way to make something go viral? Yeah, I think honesty, honesty. Honest comedy is how it goes viral. Yeah. When you yeah. find the honesty of a moment and yeah. people can laugh at it because they see themselves. Yeah. In just like something. with the lead actor of unlovable, her video that went viral a couple of years ago, it's got 50 million views on YouTube. Like I forgot my phone. Yeah. And it's so simple, <laughs> so, so but it's, so honest. it resonates still today, like yeah. five, four or five years later. Um, the other question I had about the filmmaking process was more, I guess a little bit more business oriented, but you've made projects that have gone from short form to feature length like Lemon Lima, Dear Lemon Lima, probably the most obvious example. Mm-hmm. You originally made it as a short. What was the process like for making it into a feature, both from did you envisage it going to a feature stage? Did you just simply look at the short script and then how can I make this 90 pages longer? Or And then again, how did, how did it come to you? It started as a feature script because I was at Columbia okay. and um, – I think Kimberly Pierce did a short and then did Boys Don't Cry. So it was sort of one of the models of like okay. what you could do is make it short and then the short can translate into a feature and that's mm. how you can get your first feature made. So I did go into it. I did first write the feature script and then when I needed to make my senior thesis film, I wanted to make a film. I had already made No Shoulder, which had okay. done pretty well on the festival circuit. Yeah, right. And so I wanted to do something that was a slice of my feature that captured the tone because it was such a specific visual aesthetic and tone it was like a girl 
who sees her life like it's Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. So the 13-year-old girl who sees her life like it's this epic romance yeah. and sweeping landscapes. Um, so I did go into it knowing that I wanted to make my feature okay. from that. And I right. think it was helpful. Strong business sense. And also yeah. that would have been really motivating through the process of making the short because you knew that it had a long-term Yes, for sure. Life. Yeah. Were there any moments where you stopped pursuing the idea that it was going to be a feature or were you pretty no, much it happened from the pretty, time you made the short? Pretty happened? soon out of school. Okay. I think how did I, that, yeah, how did that happen? At the time, ITVS was, was um, helping independent filmmakers develop material. And so they... They liked the script, and so they signed a development deal to develop it into a feature. Wow. So. Very cool. So that happened pretty fast after I was done with grad school. But I yeah. was also like, I was like, I'm making my feature no matter what. Yeah. Like, I'm figuring it out. I'll cobble together money. I'll do whatever yeah. just needs to get made. So. Did you, were you one of the standouts in your class? Like, was that a pretty quick so rise? So many standouts in my class. There okay. were so many standouts in my class. They were just like, they're still kids from my class at Columbia and I'm constantly inspired by seeing their name in the trades and can you give a shout out to any of them now gosh I don't it's just okay if you forget well I think Phil Johnston was someone I remember I went to school with and he was so funny and he wrote Wreck-It Ralph and oh wow he's directing that now he has so much funny so many funny scripts he's now written Jack Paglin was someone I went to school with and he now he wrote Transcendence, that Johnny Depp film, which I mean yeah. he's such a great writer. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a girl Nikki Beluga who's who's a writer now. I mean, there's so many. There were just so many students that I'm still like, oh, they're they're playing at the festival too, and yeah. and it's cool to just see all Have the names from a rising tide lifts all boats i guess yeah for sure people definitely there's no i think that's one of those things even in film school like you know people when people get jealous or yep. you know i get it i get yeah, it yeah, but yeah. but when all is said and done like you rise together yeah you, know? you do um because you can learn and from you each sing other together or... so yeah. it's like yeah <laughs> you know, it's just make Picks your choice which of way life. you want to go Coming full circle <laughs> so. Um, would you give that advice to someone today if they wanted to make a feature to a, a director starting out? Would you say, hey, this is how I made my feature. I made it a short first and then it, it got picked up or it got interest. And would I'm, that be the same part? I would suggest, yeah, making a great feature script first, writing okay. a great feature script and then translating it into a short. Or a proof of concept or something. Yeah. And then do. otherwise I would recommend... I guess in this day and age, there's there's two different paths, I think, as an up-and-coming director you could do. You could do the write the feature script and then make a short that does well at the festival circuit and oh, opens up some doors. Or, yeah. yeah. Or the second path would be start a YouTube channel or a Vimeo channel and just make shorts at home and mm. just, like, if you like making horror films, make a bunch of little horror shorts. Mm. It's like, use your iPhone and just shoot a bunch of horror sh shorts with your best friend. Um that's what I would, because now it's, we, mm. distributors and agents have, there's like such an easy pathway. Yeah, straight, you can open the door, you can just go in your bedroom and click and mm. everyone's one click away from you. Mm. So I would recommend that too, I guess. I, I grew up in a different time, but now it's like, 
the power slightly of democratized. the internet celebrities yeah. like out of this world. But so. that just, I guess, but also it's an oversaturated market as well. It's true. So on that topic, it's, it's difficult to get noticed. And I think that you said before about, you know, um, finding honesty in the work and making something as honest is, is a way, for example, to make something go viral um, or for have to get a strong response. How do you think a filmmaker or a creative actor, writer, director, producer, whoever, how do you think that they can refine that honesty or how could, how, how would you recommend they were, would refine their voice? I think it's just knowing the way that you see the world or your, okay. what's your, Take what do things. you have to say? Yeah. And do you ask yourself that regularly in, in, in asking and questioning or challenging yourself to I think for, what do I want to say this year? I or? think, well, I think it's more like with different projects when I'm approached with something or sent a script, it's like, how do I find my way into this? And can I, cause it's not when you get scripts, like every script needs work, work. some work to yeah. get to the big screen. Yeah. If you're taking it on as a director. And for me, it's like, what, where do I see my voice in this? And does it have the heart that I feel I need in something to be a Susie Nessie film. And yeah. that's what, like, whether or not I do something, it's like needs to have heart mm -hmm. and it needs to be something that would inspire people in some way. Cause otherwise I just, it's like, what do I want to, what do I want to put out there? Mm -hmm. And what do I want my environmental footprint to be in the world? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Oh, that's a great, that's a fantastic comment. I think you could put that in a lecture. If you went back to Columbia, you could just send them this answer if <laughs> they asked you back. Um, closing comments. Did you have anything else to add? That you, maybe a story that you wanted to share or something that you wanted to put on record or anyone, anyone out on Twitter to either ask questions or not bother you on social media? <laughs> no, no. Just people are at South by Southwest. Check out Unlovable or... This summer, Daphne and Velma. Nice. It's going to um, be good. Yeah. Well, guys, you can find Susie on Instagram and Twitter. Your profiles are public. Yeah. Yep. Um, cool. And anything different from the beginning of our chat with what you're thinking, feeling, needing, or wanting? Is there anything, is there anything different? <laughs> what am I thinking? Well, now I'm thinking about work. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. now I'm thinking about work in my and process. And not the blue day. Yeah, yeah. Not how sunny it is. And what am I wanting now? I just, well, I'm, I'm in post, so I do want to, to go back to finish work. these films. Yeah. Okay. And then what's the feel? Feel and need. Yeah. I feel happy. It was so great talking to you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. I needed someone to talk to. That's I good. needed to be heard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Get out of the office. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, uh, thanks guys for listening. Thank you so much, Susie, for sitting down with me. This was an awesome conversation and until next time.